Hello and welcome back to Irreligiosophy, where we have been slapping a baby to save kittens since January 2009. I'm trying to think in what circumstance it would be necessary to slap a baby in order to save a kitten. Is there any circumstance that isn't out there worth slapping a baby for? <laughs> They're so soft, it just kind of molds <laughs> to your hand. You really don't even need an excuse to slap a baby. That's very true. That's very true. You just kind of, and you're done. <laughs> so what we're doing today, the, the topic of today, is essentially ethics without God. Why? I don't think that's possible. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty skeptical myself. As we all know, we derive our ethics from not only God, but Christian morality. So we Is have there a, any other way? I mean, uh, I don't think the uh, Buddhists are uh, are drawing off of anything other than Christian morality. Yeah, we have a guest today that believes that religion is nothing but a pile of garbage and it should be destroyed, and uh, he pre presents a system of ethics to allow us to do such a thing. Yeah, yeah. In fact, on the back of his book, it says, "Should I litter on religion?" <laughs> uh, uh, Dominic, am I pronouncing that right? That is correct. Dominic, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us why you want to destroy religion so bad? <laughs> why, why do you hate God? <laughs> why do I hate God? Or is um, it just Pakti that you hate? <laughs> How can you hate Pakti? Oh, he will rise I, again. It's it's uh, it's funny. I've been uh, uh, studying like religion and morality and uh, ethics for about twenty years, and I'm very much the atheist. I run a uh, a blog where I talk about atheism and such. What's the name of that so blog? Much. Plug the blog. Iamanatheist.com. That's right. It's blog.iamanatheist.com. My traffic's just going to soar after this, right? Yeah. You'll notice. You may get pocky. <laughs> you might <laughs> notice four or five extra hits. Awesome. Um, I'm not uh, so much focused on destroying religion per se as getting people to think about their beliefs and my. My personal opinion is that if people think good and hard about their beliefs and they're religious, they'll most likely stop being religious. So that's kind of the, the tact I take. Absolutely. Um, I believe that thinking does destroy religion all by itself. Oh, yeah. So basically, so, uh, you're one of the atheist missionaries that we send out. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I uh, have a book called Ask Yourself to Be Moral where I talk about a, a system for analyzing uh, your your moral beliefs and making sure that they're not invalid, and uh, I think that most religions can't stand that kind of inquiry. Um, so even though the book isn't explicitly atheistic, I'm guessing that most religious people will at least change their mind about how they behave after reading it. Yeah, I think it's it's atheistic in the sense that it's not religious. I mean, a lot of people put it on one side or the other. If you're not with God, you're not writing you're Christian books. Me. You are against right. it. So they have no concept of secular. But, you know, when you're in debates all the time, they will say, you know, you can't be moral without God. What what happens when you become an atheist? You lose all your morality. It's impossible to uh, be moral without religion. Right. Well, I think the problem is that most people who are saying that are not being moral because of religion. They're being moral and happen to be religious. And they they don't really see the difference. Yeah, there was a study a little while back that showed that um, the the reasoning process isn't different uh, between atheists and theists. We tend to, as human beings, come to a kind of a snap moral decision and then backtrack and justify our beliefs. <laughs> There's right. something wrong with that? <laughs> it, it just tells me 
that we don't oh, derive right. our beliefs from the religious system. Yeah, well, you guys have talked about this before, where there's a lot of stuff where people go to the Bible just to justify themselves and ignore the parts that disagree with them. Right. And, yeah. Um, you know, a, a really good example of uh, the kind of things people do is uh, they'll say, like, the Ten Commandments, that's the basis for morality. But if you go through them and try to pin them down on what they, each commandment means, they usually haven't a clue. You know, when you say, thou shalt not murder, okay, what does that really mean? So, you know, what about war? You know, what about the death penalty? Can you defend your family? What is, is killing yourself necessarily murder? And they'll have all sorts of different uh, ideas about that. So it's not as cut and dried as they pretend it is. Right, and they tend to forget about you know three or four of the Ten Commandments <laughs> when yeah. they when they enter the public sphere. Right, they they conveniently forget Thou shalt ha not have uh, no other gods before me, and Thou shalt not worship graven images. Not to mention the other two versions of the Ten Commandments, something about Thou shalt not boil a kid in its mother's milk, or some ridiculous thing like that. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, they've got names for the the two different sets, and that one's like the the religious uh, ceremonial ones and they're they're really wacky yeah people don't even realize I don't think people are reading their Bibles actually no no yeah. not too often now it, it's kind of curious to me uh, as we've already discussed uh, before starting I only read the preface so I'm going to play <laughs> off of that <laughs> but no 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 you you actually state that you are not a professional philosopher so where does this book come from, and how do you justify your reasonings behind this? Well, as I say in the introduction, uh, which uh, I know at least one of you has read, that um, <laughs> it, oh, it now doesn't you're matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter if I'm a professional philosopher. I think that this philosophy is, on its face, so obviously true that uh, you can ignore what I think about any of these issues and just make up your own mind and still reach good conclusions. So it's like Descartes. If you can hold that idea clearly in your head, it must be true. Yeah, pretty much. I do, mean, you, uh, do you have any mm -hmm. philosophical training? Uh, no, just some college classes and a uh, boatload of reading on my own. Yeah, it's interesting because it does seem pretty philosophically rigorous, the book itself. Well, I mean, oh, considering, uh, what is this, the fallacies of reasoning, he goes from page 13 to 68 just talking about different fallacies that could come on the reasoning side. Now, so, I mean, yes, it is very philosophical base. My, my guess is that, Dominic, you can even pronounce the word fallacy correctly. I can probably pronounce irreligiosophy. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Layton. would be the first. Uh, on both of those scores. <laughs> Uh, there's uh, something down below my nether regions I'd like to eat a kiss right now. <laughs> now, uh, a lot of these fallacies, um, you know, I learned different words for. Um, and yeah, you, mentioned, you mentioned that, that you use kind of more colloquial terms for the fallacies. Yeah, and really the reason is that I don't want people to get hung up on the, the, the philosophy and uh, in terms of being formal. Um you know, there are a lot of other places you can go. I just want people to think about how they're thinking and see what they can do wrong. Uh, also, there are a lot of these that if you were to assign formal names to them, uh, you'd have to get into, all right, exactly which one is it, or these right. two are really the same fallacy, that kind of thing. So you nicely bypass all of that. Yeah. Um, I particularly like the fallacy of dissent. 
Uh, for Leighton, this is on page 27. <laughs> Hold on, I have to read that real fast. No. <laughs> the fallacy... Uh, <laughs> The example given is descendants are morally tied to the actions of their predecessors. And the most obvious example of the fallacy of descent is the intergenerational feud, and you bring up the Hatfields and McCoys. Sure. Yeah, and, and anybody who's read the Bible should be very, very familiar with this fallacy. Um, in right, fact, the, that's a... God, Samaritans... The, well, God passes the sins down to the seventh generation, right? Some parts oh, of the Old Testament. Even yeah. worse, if you're looking at the sin of Adam and Eve, it goes down forever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, my problem with this is that um, in the 16th century, I believe, the Morrisons and McLeods got into a big feud where they killed a bunch of Morrisons. Um, and so if I meet a McLeod on the street, I will shove a gerbil up his ass. Well, you carry my a gerbil point is, is the Mc do. Yes, he At always all times. Does. In fact, he keeps it up his ass. That's <laughs> but my question is, isn't the McLeod clan from the Highlander movies? Are they immortal? I have to kill out. I have to decapitate them. You have to them? chop off their heads. God damn it! Or he's a really good hamster. Yeah. Well, I'll just that pen just them down means... and nibble through. <laughs> just means the gerbil will be torturing them for all eternity. <laughs> oh, I see. Mm. So you're going to shove a cork up there too. All right. <laughs> any <laughs> any ethical system that does not allow for gerbil shoving, uh, I, I have big uh, problems with. Well, you know, we should we should have you explain your ethical system. I mean, you call it the Q2 system because it's got yep. two questions, so why don't you uh, spit that out for us? Okay, I'll, I'll skip the gerbil part since we've covered that. Um, <laughs> essentially, what I'm, I'm proposing is that if you've got any kind of system of thought or belief or worldview, uh, you've got to examine it and make sure it's uh, not invalid before you can start using it for anything. So in order to... Uh, make sure it's not invalid. First, you make sure all your terms are defined, and then you ask yourself two questions. And uh, the first question that you ask yourself is, does my philosophy contradict itself? And it should be obvious on the face of it that if you are contradicting yourself, you're wrong. Uh, the second question you should ask yourself is, would I condemn someone else for reasoning as I do? So. I have a way that I am reasoning. If you're reasoning the same way, would I get mad at you for it? Well, if I would, then there's something wrong with the way that I'm thinking. So that's it's two things that are pretty simple and I think on their face obvious that you know everyone should agree that it's reasonable to ask these questions. But uh, these two questions are actually really powerful. You can cut through a lot of stuff with it. Yeah, um, um, it, so you've essentially swiped the golden rule straight from Jesus. You've borrowed terms of Christianity for that Q2. Yeah, well, Jesus true? is probably going to file you with papers. You know, you guys think that's funny. But <laughs> Christians, uh, some Christians get very upset when I just bring up the questions. And I think it's because they can see that I'm going to cause them philosophical trouble. And I've had a couple people say, oh, you're just taking this stuff from Jesus. It's right in the Bible. And, you know, the golden rule is older than Jesus. But... Even if it wasn't, who cares? These things are true things. If Jesus agrees with me that they're true, all right. So he agrees with me they're true. That's fine. Um, one thing I'd point out, though, is that uh, my second question is very close to the golden rule, but it is not the same. I don't like the golden rule. And uh, the reason I don't like it is if you say, okay, I should do unto others as I want them to do unto me, well, let's say that uh, I see a cute girl and I'd really like to give her a hug. So if I'd like her to hug me, I should just go over and hug her, because that's what the golden rule says. I should do unto others as I'd like them to do unto me. 
That well, doesn't correct. make any sense. It's, it's licensed to rape, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's uh, that we've already covered. Yeah. Now, yeah, um, one of the problems with the golden rule is that it's a positive formation. A better formulation of the golden rule would be a negative formation. Do not unto others as you would not have them do unto you. If you don't want to be raped, then you shouldn't rape someone else. Exactly. Um, and you can derive that from my second question. Right. Uh, yeah, your second question, you, you kind of discuss the golden rule and how it relates to your second question. And in the book, you say that the golden rule um, is about actions, and your second question really is about the thought process, the reasoning process behind those actions. Right. So you could have two people who reach different conclusions using the same thought process, and they have to uh, be okay with each other because they've been thinking the same way. So it's really not about the behavior, it's about how you get there. So right. if I think that everything in my magic book's okay because I have a magic book, then I can't get mad at you for thinking everything in your magic book's okay. Right, exactly. It's actually interesting that, um, I mean, these two questions seem like, you know, uh, fairly obvious. You shouldn't contradict yourselves, and you shouldn't get angry or, or fault someone for having the same thinking process as you uh, have yourself. Um, but using those two together... You have literally dozens of examples in your book. I mean, I was kind of floored by not only the amount of examples, but the amount of examples within the examples themselves. <laughs> you get yeah, quite this, an imagination. Well, thank you. Well, and this is just looking at you know ethics and morality, I and mean, you can apply it to all sorts of things. Um, but it's that's it's why it's such a powerful thing that's easy to wrap your head around at first, but you really got to spend a lot of time thinking about your own beliefs to get it to its work. Well, you even point out that uh, that before you can apply these questions, you need to understand that uh, everyone's going to come up with different opinions based on uh, what was it their uh, their emotions, their moral <laughs> sense, faith, all of that. Right. And I mean, uh, you actually pointed out intuition, and I was wondering what your thoughts on intuition were because I've always been a little bit skeptical on that, figuring the only time people can quote that they had an intuitive experience is, is when they forget the 99 times where that intuitive experience didn't do them any good. Right. Well, that's something you have to decide for yourself is how good is your intuition. So it can be a source of information, but you have to decide how good that information is. So for example, uh, if a police officer gets a funny feeling about somebody, uh, it may be experienced talking to the police officer's subconscious. Um, if I am in the same situation and get a funny feeling, it may be for a completely different reason. Uh, so when Probably I get that feeling, he's touching you. that's that's definitely a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm in Utah, at least. Yes. Um, <laughs> or Rome. But, uh, or yes. Rome. Always do as the Romans do. <laughs> that's right. So so you have to to look at these sources of information and judge their quality. So intuition is not necessarily a good source of information. You have to decide for yourself. And however you decide, you have to allow other people to decide that as well. It's interesting that you distinguish between um, intuition based on hunches or uh, like inspiration or beliefs that, that may have just come about. And uh, intuition and, by experience. And intuition by experience. Uh, uh -huh. You gave the example of a, a firefighter who's got 30 years of experience, and if he feels like a little uncertain about it, something doesn't feel right, you probably ought to listen to that. Um, right. He may not be able to put a finger on it, but uh, you know you process a whole lot more in your brain than you're consciously aware of. Um, so it's a very good point. Yeah. yeah, and that sort of intuition I can actually trust if it's based on experience, but... 
Yeah, the most most uh, experience we have with intuition is people saying, "Oh, uh, I knew I shouldn't have ran that red light because the cop pulled me over. I should have listened to my intuition." Right. Well, in that case, you were right. You shouldn't have run the red light. <laughs> but uh, the big question I have is, uh, in under moral sense, you uh, you put the example: Would you slap a baby to save a kitten? And uh-huh. should I ask how many times have you had to slap a baby to save a kitten? Fourteen. <laughs> Layton, Where did that lot, question come from? It's a lot more common than you'd think. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, maybe I, I it's, I'm not around a lot of babies. That's that's possible, and not a lot of kittens. But yeah, I just I have no idea where that came from. I am um, I may have been very tired when I was writing that part. Well, in in uh, philosophy, you tend to come up like philosophers tend to not think the same way as other people, right? Right. You tend to come up with these odd uh, examples that um, no one else ever thinks of, or they don't really make sense. That certainly aren't common, right? Uh, and there's and- a reason for that, <laughs> and that's uh, because philosophers are very, very picky. So in your brain, you're spending a lot of time thinking of the objections that can be made to your argument, and you've got to rule out everything that has an objection, and you're left with you know babies and kittens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, everybody would slap a baby, even well, if there wasn't a kitten involved. Yeah, Leighton and I have slapped a lot of babies, but never to save a kitten. Yeah. Uh, well, you got to try it. <laughs> so we should endanger a kitten and start slapping the baby to see if the kitten will be saved. I like this idea. And the reverse. Right. I, I'd slap <laughs> a bunch of kittens, too. <laughs> well, those ones you really kick. They, uh, they can get away from a slap. <laughs> <laughs> They're padded. They got that hair on the side. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, continuing with uh, what we were talking about, about intuition and things like that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, one thing that people tend to do a lot when they're talking about how you can't be moral without religion is they talk about having a moral sense. And uh, they, they treat that like it's a real thing. Um, but it's one of those intuitions that I think you really cannot trust. And people pretend like they trust it, but they don't. Uh, one example that I use sometimes is, uh, like, you'll have a, a Mormon missionary who starts having doubts while on his mission, and it's like, oh, I want to go home. And whoever's in charge of the missionary says, oh, you got to go back and pray on that. And the missionary goes and prays, and sure enough, God says, yeah, you got to go home. And uh, the kid says, yeah, God says to go home. And they say, oh, no, 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 that wasn't really God saying that. That was something else. You're confused. The praying doesn't right. count. Right. So, yeah. really, what they're Sorry. saying is, you've got this feeling, this moral sense, but if it doesn't agree with what I already think about morality, then it's wrong, and that tells me that you're not really using that moral sense. It's just a justification for things. Yeah, I wonder you know. how many people's minds have been changed just by prayer. Well, you know, my dad tried it with me when uh, when I went up, prayed about going on a mission, got dizzy. I came back, told my dad about it, and first thing he said is, that's the devil stepping in to put a stop to you. You go back and you pray again until you get the right answer. Yeah, you didn't well, pray sincerely enough late. I think your mind can be changed by sitting and thinking about something for a long time. Um, and if you do like the Bible says and pray in a closet, you can get so bored that you decide to change your mind just to get out of the closet. <laughs> The Bible doesn't like people coming out of the closet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would love, I'd love to hear an example of someone who sat down and prayed, you know, I really want to go to California to school. 
really, really, I, the last thing I want to do is stay here in Provo. I want to go to California, have an adventure. They sit down and pray and immediately feel like, nope, you stay in Provo. Damn it. Yeah. Good how luck often? With that. Uh, how often does that really happen? Yeah. Well, that, you know, also, that kind of highlights the question of uh, how do people know that prayer works? And pretty much they define it as it works. You know, whether the good thing happens or not, they say it worked. Right. And uh, they, when causes... we were talking about the um, uh, patriarchal blessings, you remember that, Leighton, where that yeah. lady prayed and um, didn't get an answer in her patriarchal blessing? And so she goes, yeah. well, that was just how wise God was. I wasn't yeah. ready for an answer. It was called um, my, my absolutely nondescript patriarchal blessing, <laughs> and she was praising God for realizing that she didn't want anything special. Right. Right. Well, I think the... Uh, the biggest example of a reason people pray that doesn't make any religious sense, at least to me, is when somebody's died and you pray for them to go to heaven, you're, you're essentially saying that there are some people who wouldn't go to heaven if folks didn't pray for them. And that means that it's not in your own control to go to heaven. But there, every religion says it's in your own control whether you go to heaven or not. So yeah, these people seemed, are, are Seems like a little late. Seems like a yeah. little late at that point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that would be an example of a question one violation. They're contradicting themselves. You know, are you in control or not? Right. But people oh. don't even notice that. Dear, dear God, uh, regardless of what an asshole this person was, please send them to heaven anyway. <laughs> yes, yes, I don't want to see them tortured for all of eternity, so please send him to heaven, even though he was an asshole. Well, especially since God is supposed to know better than you whether this was a good person or not. Well, God's a dick in and of himself, so, I mean, how is he supposed to know who to send to heaven or not? Maybe that's what he's waiting for is these prayers. You can't call him a dick. You're not omniscient. <laughs> oh, really? Should I call him an ass instead? He is an ass man. What if he has non-dickish reasons for his behavior that are just hidden from your view? Uh, in that case, we should all become theists right now. <laughs> so how did you come up with these uh, two questions? What, what got um, you started on this whole thing? Okay, I was brought up Catholic, and uh, oh, just for your entertainment, my wife's a former Mormon. Nice. How did <laughs> she? Nice. Uh, how did she throw off the shackles? Oh, she just got better. You convert her. Um, she, convert nah. her to Catholicism. Yeah, that that would be a big step in a weird yeah. direction. Well, see, the problem with Mormons who go bad is they go really bad. They become wild. So I can understand why you'd hook up with her. Yeah, well, she had converted to Mormonism and then out of it, you know. Oh, well, that she, doesn't count. She doesn't. Yeah. That she counts? <laughs> what are you talking about? That doesn't count. You have to be Mormon for years, be in the cult, and then all of a sudden realize, holy shit, what have I been putting up with? And then go ass wild. That totally counts. <laughs> I hope that is experience of a lot of new converts where they go in there and they're like, Jesus Christ, this was not as advertised. What the heck's going on? <laughs> you know, so for for where I come from is uh, <clears throat> when I was a, a kid, I remember my mom uh, buying me some Chick Track, which you are familiar with. Unfortunately. And, <laughs> yeah. I love Chick Tracks. I loved them in college, and I love them even more now. Well, I've got a huge collection of the things. Um, in fact, I've got a website where I make fun of them, too, if you ever need to go there. Yeah, but, uh, or go there uh, for inspiration. That's right. <laughs> but... Um, they they just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And the one that stands out in my mind is, I think it's called You Goofed, the one where the, the devil takes his mask off at the end. Yep, yep, yep. And, uh, <laughs> this just doesn't seem right. And I remember asking my parents about, what the heck is going on here? And they didn't have a whole lot of answers. And then uh, when I went to college, I sat down and tried actually reading the Bible for the first time. 
because I'm like, I realized that my moral, my system of morality wasn't very robust, and I was trying to look for answers. Everybody says the Bible has it, and that didn't work out very well. Isn't that one of the I.O.? But did this happen after a philosophy class? I mean, no. Um, when before. I when I first took a philosophy class, it really opened my eyes to how little thought I had given to ethics and and morality, and I, how I just accepted everything. Maybe that's just college in general as kind of an eye-opening experience, but boy, for me it was philosophy in specific. Yeah, for me it was it was before I started. That's what got me interested in taking those classes. Is I I realized I need to be able to justify my behavior instead of just uh, looking for reasons for my behavior. So I needed a, a coherent system, and after looking around a lot, I really realized there wasn't any religious system out there that worked. And I, I started to be disgusted at how some of my friends were reacting with religion. And I just started questioning everything. Uh, and just over the course of about 10 years, I, I boiled everything down to these two questions. And I realized I can take any philosophical system, run these two questions, and get rid of most of them. And the ones it doesn't get rid of, it, it kind of uh, takes the, the teeth out of them. So, for example, if I think that uh, my religion is the only correct one and I should be able to pass laws to force other people to do what I, I say, well, these two questions uh, will take that religion, change it into one where, okay, I can believe it for myself, but I can't force other people. So it, it makes it inert. Right, because uh, as far as Q2 is concerned, um, you wouldn't want, yeah, and this is what Christians can't see. You wouldn't want Islam to come and make those laws and force you and your children to pray five times a day. But you think right. it's okay because your religion is true. Sure, wow. and that's just as people will say, well, my religion is true, so it's okay for me to do that. Right. And when you look at the other side, the other side's thinking exactly the same way. So you can't condemn them. They're thinking just like you are. You know, maybe uh, one maybe that's what... Yeah, well, maybe that's what's inspired all these stupid-ass uh, coexist bumper stickers that I'm seeing everywhere, which which are fine and dandy, but even if you got the bumper sticker down there, I can guarantee you every one of those churches is sending out missionaries, except for... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just bite my tongue on that comment that was going across. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> why, why stop now? <laughs> well, because it would probably lose us half of our listener base, but that's only two people, so we can... Oh, my we can God. If you haven't gotten rid of half of them by now, they ain't going anywhere. Uh, that's probably a good point. <laughs> so, um, Kant's deontology was not good enough for you, communitarianism by Hume, or John Stuart Mill's utilitarianism. Uh, not good Actually, enough. You I think he feels like own. he's better than all these yeah, other Yeah, the, the fallacy of superiority. Yes. Actually, Kant uh, has a system that's almost exactly the same as my two questions. So you're plagiarizing. Uh, no, he, he plagiarized me back in time somehow. Sure. <laughs> it was uh, plagiarism by anticipation, right? Yeah. I actually uh, ran into him after I'd come up with this. And his second question is, is different from mine. It's behavior-based. Um, but his first question is the same. So I was very, very pleased to see that because I took that as sort of a validation that I was in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, the categorical imperative is you, you act so that the maxim of your behavior, or the, the thought behind that behavior, can be universalized to everything. And I right. suppose that does kind of, uh, it can't be contradictory. Um, mm -hmm. And I suppose if you universalize it, that includes the second question. So right. it's kind of a um, more easily understood version of Kant's deontology.
Yeah, his is actually a little more rigorous, but it's a lot less accessible to a normal person. Yeah, I mean, if you read that Critique of Pure Reason, it's one of the driest things and uh, yeah. ever set down to paper. Yeah, it'll make your eyes bleed. It's worse than any writing Layton's ever done. <laughs> yeah, and we do not want to subject the public to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's cover some specific examples. Layton, do you have a few you'd like to cover? I, There's tons love... of questions in here. Yeah, there there are some great questions in here, like, is it okay to eat horse meat? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Like, uh, Wait, let's change that a little bit. Yeah. Is it okay to eat mermaid? That's a good <laughs> <laughs> well, that depends We've covered on this, and they've determined that it is lawful to eat mermaid. But which well, we parts? covered it, yeah, for for Muslims, but let's run it through sure. that Q2, the, the 2Q system. All right. Well, if, if I was to take that question seriously... <laughs> Why wouldn't you? You're on our show. How can you not take us seriously? <laughs> I make a good point. So it would depend on the nature of mermaids. If, if mermaids were intelligent creatures, then they would be able to make moral decisions. So I would have to look at them through the lens of Q2. They would be able to make decisions just like I am. So if I don't want them eating me, I can't eat them. All right. What, what about their... Really good? What about... <laughs> <laughs> what about their bottom half that can't make intelligent decisions and is yes, more yes. fishy? We'll let them keep the top half. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, you could ask, can you eat baby's toes? <laughs> yeah. Don't answer that. <laughs> All right. What well, question? You just stop at toes, though. <laughs> what question? I like this one on page 132. Should a lawyer defend someone who is guilty? Let's analyze that Yeah, that's one. a good question. That's a good one. That one, I think if you ask a lawyer, most of them will say yes, because the question, the, the problem is that most people think of lawyers as just trying to get someone off, you know, to, uh, let me rephrase that because Layton's here. It, let me, I was it's, about to comment. <laughs> you know, lawyers are trying to, to get people released from jail or not be punished, but a lawyer can uh, reasonably try to get someone a fair trial and... I think that most people would want that, uh, again, by Q2. They would want to be given a fair trial themselves, at least. Uh, so that it's got to be okay for a lawyer to do that. Now, it, specifically, though, you would wish not to be found guilty, even if you were guilty. So you might say, well, really what I want is for a lawyer to, to get me out of jail. But then you have to look at a broader thing, and if you want it for yourself, you've got to want it for everyone else. So then you've got lawyers trying to get you know murderers and rapists out of jail, and you don't want that. So you have to back off and say, okay, I want the lawyer to give me a fair trial. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff depends on the definitions. I mean, you had a whole section yeah. on you. You got to rigorously define your terms, otherwise you're just wasting time. I, I find that like ninety percent of arguments, if you define the terms, the argument's over. I mean, you can't even get people to tell you what God is. You know, people don't know. And you, you try to pin them down, and they're like, well, it's kind of, ah, you know what it is. You yeah. Know? Same thing um, for a spirit. I mean, they'll have these yeah. weird terms, you know, God's all-powerful. Energy he's everywhere. never destroyed. He's, you know. he's uh, everywhere and nowhere. You know, it's, it, none of the stuff makes sense. No, but when you I, try to get them down into, like, a spirit, it's all in terms of what it isn't, right? Right. Um, it's not well, solid. I, I, it's not substantial. There was a guy I was talking to through my blog who was trying to argue that the universe, all sum total, was God. And I'm like, what does that even mean? You're just 
interchanging the word universe for God. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, why would you worship that? Um, Yeah. I mean, that's almost Wiccan worship at that point. I mean, there's a sense in which, um, say, Spinoza, for example, had the same thought, that the entire universe is God, and we're all kind of living within the mind of God. God's impersonal. He doesn't answer prayers. He just is. Right, right, right. And, but then uh, you're just defining your terms a certain way that most people who are like Christians wouldn't agree with. Absolutely correct. Um, and in that sense, the the awe that you feel, given the scale of the universe, some of the beauty in, in Earth, I mean, I suppose you could call that worship, but it's uh, entirely different, almost 180 degrees from the typical Christian. Right. Well, that's why you, I think one of the silliest things that some religious people say is they'll say, you know, all religions were all worshiping the same God or something right. like that. And it's like, they're so contradictory. There's just no way. Even just, you know, uh, Catholics and Mormons and Protestants, it's it's so incredibly different. Um, right. You I, cannot I, be worshiping the same God. When one tells you there is no hell and the Catholics say, oh, yes, there is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there is. And you were born with original sin, so yeah, uh, better start getting repentant. Oh yeah. Well, you know that brings up uh, uh, an example that I wanted to make sure I mentioned. Is uh, this is one of my favorite things to to bring up that makes some religious people's heads explode? Is <laughs> if we think about all right, way back in the day when Jesus was walking around and thought about him and his disciples visiting a woman who had a baby, and the woman turns away and the baby rolls over and it's going to roll off a table. Would Jesus catch that baby and put it back on the table or not? And people would say, yeah, Jesus would catch that baby. So I said, okay, let's look at a modern-day situation. A woman is alone in a room with a baby. Is God in that room with her or not? And they'll say yes. I said, okay, if her baby starts to roll off the table, is Jesus going to stop that baby? And they'll say no. And I'm like, okay, you're making a disconnect in your definitions of what Jesus is here somewhere. Because you're saying, yeah, Jesus is morally required to stop the baby from falling off. No, Jesus isn't required. So that tells me there's something horribly, horribly wrong with their philosophy. If it yeah, that that's a that's a huge disconnect because they believe that Jesus is God. Um, he just kind of took a third of his personality and shoved it into a mortal shell, and walked around for a little bit, and then kind of at the end of it uh, suffered some and changed locations at the end. There's yeah. no difference. There's no difference whatsoever. It's the same thing, you know. Leighton was arguing with his family about this girl in a room and she's being raped she's you know like a yeah, young god child the rapist yeah. six-year-old girl getting raped and and god is in that room doing nothing twiddling his right. thumbs playing tetris yeah. uh, downloading apps from the iphone store you know who, who knows what he's doing uh, right. and somehow that's okay but if you're in that room uh you are morally obligated to attempt to stop that rape from happening not so for mm-hmm. god Right. And the argument they'll say is, well, you know, God would be interfering with free will. It's like, well, Jesus in that room (laughs) would be interfering with it just as much as Jesus up in heaven. So why in one case is it different? Sure. And if there is an omniscient God, there's no such thing as free will anyway. So. Yeah, well, ridiculous. that's complicated. Not only that, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's just like the question I asked my brother. I'm like, all right, then, brother. I'm like, if you were in that same room with that rapist and you interfered with what he was doing, would that not be you interfering with his free will? So, therefore, how is this any different from God? And, and why I based, should we, when and we why try should, to emulate our actions uh, um, according to Jesus's or God's? desires or actions. Exactly. If, if God does it or doesn't do it, then we should do it or not do it. If God doesn't do it, we should avoid doing it. 
And that's why I said, and this is one of the things I regret in our uh, respect for other people's beliefs thing, um, because the, Jesus routinely called people names. Oh, ye generation of vipers. Oh, ye hypocrites. He overturned tables. He whipped people. <laughs> mm-hmm. I suppose that's moral then. I, am feel, I could feel free to do it. It Jesus, couldn't be a sin uh, because Jesus is sinless. Yeah, he stole crops. Jesus uh, yeah. didn't wash his hands before he ate. Right. Yeah, yeah, he likes to beat trees. Yeah. <laughs> Smack yeah, exactly. trees. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I was just looking at a, a homeschooling book, uh, like a biology book for religion-based homeschoolers, and it had this thing in there talking about germ theory and says, oh, now if you look in the Old Testament, it says you've got to clean yourself if you touch a dead body. That proves that the Bible knew about germ theory. And I'm like, yeah, and Jesus refused to wash his hands before he'd eat. He didn't know about germ theory. Yeah, you know, in the Bible, that's just for ritual purity. We're not talking yeah. about, you know, regular people. We're talking about priests. You know, they cannot do the ritual if they've touched a dead person. They have to cleanse themselves. It wasn't yeah. until the Pharisees, uh, you lost the temple. It was destroyed in 70 CE. And mm-hmm. the, the, they took the rituals that were in the temple and they kind of gave it to the rest of the people. Um, right. So that sort of thing, people washing their hands before eating, for example, didn't uh, get to the common Jew until after the temple was destroyed and the Pharisees kind of took over as rabbis. Right, and that's you know, it's another thing Christians have to think about is <clears throat> there's all these ritual rules for the Jews. Which ones do Christians have to obey? And most right. Christians will say none of them. But then they go and tell you to obey the Ten Commandments. Right. If you follow yeah. Paul, none of them matter at all. All that matters is right. belief in Jesus. Yeah. Which, now, by Jesus... the way, gets uh-huh. us to page 186. <laughs> Why <laughs> should I? This is a very good question. Why should I avoid sin if I'll be forgiven? Damn straight. There's yeah, this one. I mean, it's just like the martyrs we were talking about. All you have to do is throw a little incense, make a little oath, and then you're you're free to be forgiven again. I can't remember right. who said the quote, but they're like, "Jesus suffered for my sins. Wouldn't it be ungrateful of me if I wouldn't avail myself of that?" <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's so, right. It's so funny to to look at like movies like The Godfather. We've got the gangsters who all say they're good Catholics and they're not shooting folks. Yeah, they don't <laughs> exactly. see a contradiction there somehow. So let's uh, let's analyze that. Let's go, run it through the Q1 and Q2. Um, the statement is, the blood of Jesus has paid for my sins, so I can do anything I like without worrying about the consequences. All right, so the, the first question is, are you contradicting yourself? And you'd have to, to look at that and decide what exactly it means when it says that Jesus has paid for your sins. Uh, and that's where I think a lot of people fall down, is they think that it's paying for everything in the future and the past, so really... Why the heck wouldn't you not worry about sin if there's not going to be any repercussions? Um, then you get to Q2, and right. quickly you see you've right. got a problem. <laughs> yeah, definitely then, Q2. Q1 maybe if you think that some th- sins are wrong because of, say, consequences that fall for If you harm other people, for example, um, right. that harm isn't repaired by the blood of Jesus, right? So right. that could be a contradiction. So wait, yeah. if if I am masturbating and I spill out my future generation, is that causing them harm? Yes, that's 300 if you're fertile. That's 300 million future children that you've just murdered willfully. I'm going to have to go out there and find me 300 million women. It's like in Star Wars when the <laughs> the Alderaan got blown up and there was a disturbance in the force. <laughs> <laughs> 
God, the cries. <laughs> it was as if the cries of 300 million sperm all got extinguished at once. Well, that's just the first time in the day. I'm talking about six <laughs> times through the day. So we're talking 18. <laughs> I wonder if your sperm count goes down. <laughs> you, you I'll collect it for you. You can look under a microscope and see. <laughs> I'm all over. All right, uh, you, sorry. You guys we... know my parents are going to be listening to this, right? <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> why, why would you allow your parents to listen to us? I might give that because a second I, thought. I didn't analyze this through the two questions. I, I was going to say, let's analyze that. that sort of moral thinking. <laughs> yeah. So so let's go to the Q2. On Q2, there's definitely a problem. Oh, yeah, because you don't want other people thinking that way. You'd have you know riots in the street as people came to steal your stuff because they're forgiven. Sure. Yeah. And this kind of highlights the fact that uh, when people talk about Jesus paying for their sins, they really don't mean what they they say that they mean. They, uh, If something's immoral, it can't be the punishment that's the problem. There has to be something else that makes it wrong. Um, because avoiding the punishment doesn't mean you can still do the thing. You know, you can't shoplift even if you're sure you won't be caught. Uh, right. Or you can't, you know. So... Uh, uh, I, I find it very annoying when some people, it's mostly Protestants, who who seem to have the attitude of, hey, you, you can't judge me, I'm forgiven. You, know, you don't run that into that as much with Catholics, because Catholics think what you do actually matters. Yeah, Catholics are all guilty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm a sinner. Got to choose one or the other. Yeah, there are certain flavors of Protestants anyway that think that all you have to do is uh, admit that Jesus is your Savior, and then you're saved no matter what. Well, right. Going along with what Paul said, that's right. Yeah. And uh, there are some who think that, you know, once you've accepted Jesus, then you'll automatically, you know, behave or, or start to behave as a more moral person. I don't know that that generally works out. Uh, they seem uh, it doesn't to... seem like it. The Christians no. are filled with Christians. Yep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, the one question I wanted to go to is page 110, should indecent art be censored? And the reason why uh, this one struck me so uh, so vehemently is when Charlie and I were up at this Halloween convention, we c ran across this one artist who created the most disgustingly beautiful art I have ever seen. And uh, he was talking about how he was displaying it at uh, art fairs and he actually got banned from it. And so, I mean, uh, yeah. this this very first question in the discussion is what does indecent mean? And I love that question. So, well, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, you know always start out by defining your terms, and that's one that people pretty much end up just saying, "Well, if I think it's indecent, it's indecent." That was um, actually so the that, that's a the, terrible definition. <laughs> the Supreme Court's uh, because, definition, uh, right? You know, by Q two, you're everyone's. Yeah, well, the Supreme Court talks about uh, your community standards, I believe. Yeah, they said that. So that um, I may not be able to define pornography, but I know it when I see it. Oh, that's right. That's that right. was essentially that. And then the, the appeals courts, I think, had to come up with uh, sort of standards. And it's community standards, right, uh, violates the community standards, which, of course, is a moving target. Yeah, and it probably should be. But, yeah, you know, for a long time, uh, I used to make a little money by selling horror fiction. And uh, I sold a couple of stories that people got very, very unhappy about because of the content. So I take this particular question very personally. I think you should be pretty liberal with uh, this kind of stuff and not ban things. Like, for yeah. example, if you have a podcast that's making masturbation jokes, you know, it should be. <laughs> 
I would ban the hell out of that podcast. I wouldn't necessarily call that podcast artistic in any way. <laughs> it doesn't have any redeeming qualities. So, therefore, instead of defining indecent, we should be defining art where this podcast is concerned. That is a good it's, point. It's very difficult to um, to ban something in in terms of indecency. I think even given community standards, because they're so shifting. I mean, yeah. you had in the fifties. Uh, people are burning books that in the 80s, you wonder why, what was the big uproar about this stuff? Yeah. I mean, Catcher in the Rye, that was burned, uh, it was a popular burn book to be burned, and you read it and you're thinking, what the hell? Yeah, well, it's kind of like putting into law uh, a dollar amount for a tax. If you say the tax on something is $10 back in 1920s, that's a big deal. Today, it's nothing. So right. as soon as you put a standard in law for decency, it's going to look pretty silly after yeah. a certain amount of time. I mean, it seems yeah. like limitation on, on speech, uh, to, to limit it at all, you really have to have compelling, compelling uh, justifications for that. And you listed some of them, you know, the the fire, someone shouting fire in a crowded movie theater, that sort of thing. Right. If you have the potential of causing harm, would override your uh, protected freedom of speech. Right. Well, that's why you notice my... my uh, little section on free speech is one of the longest and that's because there's so many issues uh, but it's such an important one you know, especially in America where we're so proud of free speech um, there are so many exceptions that you can think of right uh, um, and one of them is uh, on 202 should public nudity be illegal right. and my Not opinion where I'm is concerned. yes but only for fat people <laughs> <laughs> So I should have, should it be encouraged? Should it be another page? <laughs> uh, I, I agree I've, with that. By doing that, I would ban myself from engaging in public nudity. Uh, but apparently Leighton <laughs> would be all right. Well, it, we would have to define fat because uh, I have a little cottage cheese going down my side. <laughs> I've been meaning to work it out, but uh, haven't got around to it yet. <laughs> should public nudity be encouraged? That's an entirely different question. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's, you see a practical examples of the uh, problems with limits on free speech when you start talking about people filtering the internet like in schools and stuff and all this really stupid stuff gets filtered you know all these babies thrown out with the bathwater. if we want another baby analogy um, right. <clears throat> you have to be very careful with those kind of things uh, how about moving again into uh, Christianity on 220 should the Bible be taught in public school the statement is Bible appreciation should be taught as a public high school elective um, before you answer, Dominic, let's hear from Leighton, because I'm expecting he'll have something really stupid to say about this. Well, considering I wasn't listening to what you were saying, <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> was this something about a Bible course being taught in school? Yeah, should uh -huh. Bible appreciation... Bible appreciation should be taught as a public high school elective. Uh, bull fucking shit. <laughs> I had to go through seminary because my parents required it, and I slept through most of that. And it's probably unfortunate I did because I find the Bible so interesting now. Um, but once again, why isn't the Koran being tossed in there? Let me tell you why I think Bible uh, appreciation should be taught in public schools. Because it will make the most atheists? <laughs> that, I think, would be comparative religions. <laughs> that ought to be mandatory. I think Bible appreciation should be taught um, because it is such a part of our culture that if you don't understand the Bible, you have a difficult time interacting with society. 
Um, I'm not sure Bible appreciation. I think Bible um, as a as a literature, as a as a text of literature, and um, the Old Testament is Judaism and and being taught alongside other literature. You should allow for textual criticism. One of the reasons I think that this type of class should not be taught is that in certain locales it would be abused wholeheartedly. Yeah, and that's where I was going to disagree with you, is you're yeah. walking on eggshells where you got the majority of the country who are Christian, and you put something like that, and I can guarantee you they're not going to go into textual criticisms on them. Right. If, if such a class were to be considered, I would think that we'd have a national debate about what should and should not be taught, and how it should and should not be taught, and have national guidelines on that. But again, then you get into states' rights, local school boards, and it, it's a thorny issue. Anyway, Dominic, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, there really are two separate issues. One is, should it be done? And there are certainly like college-level classes that do a fine job of doing what you were saying, talking Absolutely. about it as, you know, text. Um, could that be done at a high school level? You know, One would hope that that quality would be there. But that, that brings us to the second point is, even if it should be done, is it practical? And I think that there would be way too many instances of people trying to smuggle religion in there. But uh, ultimately, I think it should be okay if that second issue could be addressed. Uh, and in fact, my uh, uh, I know you guys have talked about homeschooling before uh, and are not big fans of it, but we actually homeschool my son. And my wife publishes a magazine for secular homeschoolers. And in her previous issue, had an article about uh, teaching the Bible secularly uh, for pretty much the reasons you brought up that uh, it's a cultural reference and you, know, you hear quotes from it all the time it's, it's, it's something you should know about even if you don't believe it's true in, a, in the religious sense right. so I think it's the a, knowledge is valuable it's a very difficult to uh, engage in, in almost any discussion in this culture if you have difficulties uh, with the Bible and unfortunately the vast majority of Christians have difficulties with the Bible. Right. I mean, well, I know a lot of people who have never read the Bible, but they believe in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, see, and, a... and that's where I get skeptical, is uh, is the fact that, yes, I agree, it's a, it's a great bit of literature, and it should be studied to understand why it has guided our civilization and all other civilization. Well, not all, but you understand what I'm saying. Parts but of it are great literature. Parts other parts are, are just garbage. Exactly, but the problem is, is I am so skeptical that we would never ever be able to stop somebody from going, "Hey, this is what the scientists say, wink, wink," and yeah. uh, this is what the requirements are, wink, wink. But we're going to study the Bible as it should be by the hand of God. Right, so I'm, I'm sure... just too skeptical to believe that that is possible to put a class like yeah. that in high school. I'm sure in the great majority of um, <clears throat> Christian towns, the small towns. Um, or the really, like Mississippi, for example, the really religious states, it would just be another Sunday school course. Yeah, well, there's the question of whether it should be done and whether it could practically be done, and I think it should be, but I don't think it could be. Yeah, that's, that's, my, a, that's my side right there. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the fact of people being unfamiliar with their own book, you know, there's a, a, a psalm, maybe you guys even know which one, I can't remember offhand, that talks about the, uh, the joy of beating a child against a rock. Yeah, and uh, and I remember I that one. <laughs> I quoted that. One. I've got a T-shirt with that written on. It. But um, yeah, it says "Happy he shall be when he dashes the babies against stones" or something. It's talking about right. um, like invading their enemies and that sort of thing. That's, but it's an actually exactly. really 
it's a disturbing nasty. image. Yeah. Yeah. But I quoted that once uh, when my grandma was over, and she said, "Oh, that's awful. Where's that from?" I said, "It's the Bible." And she says, "That's not in my Bible." Yep. Right, and that yeah. really is kind of the attitude, you know. It's it's unfortunate. Well, I mean, it's like my family where we were talking about morality and God the rapist came up. I brought out a whole slew of Bible verses and said, find the morality in that. Not a single person in my family came forward to even dispute that these verses were in there or even answer the morality question, and yet they still maintain, we understand the Bible better than you do. Uh, yeah, you're just throwing everything out because you don't understand it. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. If if you really believe this is something that God had a hand in writing, first of all, you should have read it. I, I have yeah, very little truck for people who haven't. And second of all, you've got to at least, at the very, very minimum, be able to say, yeah, that's problematic. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Instead of, you know, I, I have more respect for somebody who goes, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me either, but I'm sure there's a truth, rather than someone trying to explain things away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the book is full of contradictory stuff. And, in fact, that, that's another thing that I, I've brought up to a few people and gotten them annoyed, um, since I know you like annoying uh, religious people. Um, <laughs> the uh, One of my favorite questions to ask people, ask people is, would God ever tell someone to kill a child? And most Christians will say no, even though the Bible's full of it. I don't have to quote to you guys. Isaac? <laughs> and plenty of them. I mean, you know, going into cities and God's well, sure. telling you to kill all the children. And yeah, Jephthah and, uh, as well. Children, you know, amen. if you help me win this victory, then I'll kill the first thing that comes uh, yeah. to my door. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of and sense. And he did. Yeah. Yep. It was but you'll his get, daughter. But Christians will fight like tooth and nail against saying that God would ever say to kill a child. They'll say, well, when he was talking to Abraham, he didn't mean it. Like, that makes a difference. Right. Or they'll say, when God says to go kill all the kids uh, of your enemies, well, those kids would have grown up uh, to hate you because, you know, they're the child of your enemy. And I'm like, well, if killing someone because they're the child of your enemy is okay, then if a woman's raped, can she have an abortion? Right, right? exactly. Yeah. certainly yeah. the child of her enemy. Uh, I um I think it would have been a much better story if, you know, the knife was raised, the angel appears and says, wait, just as he's going down, he actually stabs the kid, and he goes, uh, yeah, what, what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, sorry, I was in the middle of something. Oops. <laughs> Hang on a second. God told me to do this. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Well, you know, th that particular story causes a philosophical problem by the, the second question, because if you believe it's true... And somebody comes to you and says, you know, God said I got to kill my kid. How do you respond? You go, oh, don't worry, he'll stop you at the last second. Right, exactly. You know? No. I mean, it, it's it's just like this uh, this newspaper article I read, uh, geez, it was probably a year or two back, about some guy who believed that he needed to feed his child only watermelon because <laughs> it was something God was doing to purify the child. and. By the time they found the kid, I can't even remember if the kid died or not, but he was so malnutritious, or malnourished, excuse me, <laughs> that they had to barge in and steal the kid away. But, uh, I mean, it's it was just... A, it was a big case because the, the guy thought the child was a prophet. Uh, he yeah. was at Primary Children's in Salt Lake City uh, for failure oh, course, to thrive. Salt Lake City, whatever. <laughs> and he was feeding him only lettuce and watermelon because they were the most pure fruits and vegetables, I guess. And the kid was wasting away, and uh, they took the kid away, and the mom sneaked in with a friend and stole the baby and left. Do you remember this? 
No, I only read the uh, the watermelon and the lettuce part. That's no, about as far as I got that far. Anyway, yeah. they, they they fled, and I think the kid was uh, they were captured a little bit later. Um, the kid was taken away, but uh, that's the whole story. Of course, it's Salt Lake City. These guys are nuts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that just highlights the the fact that people really aren't getting their knowledge and morality where they say they are. I mean, if you look at someone like that and go, "Yeah, that person's obviously crazy and should be stopped," but I believe that this bread turns into somebody's body, even though, you know. <laughs> um, Which brings us in. We'll wrap it up with this last uh, question here. It's on it page It better two. be, should it be legal to sell your body? Because mine is definitely worth selling. You want to do that first? <laughs> no, no, go on with your question. We should probably wrap up. 223, should atheists disrespect religion? Uh, oh. If you're... If you're an atheist, then there's no reason to respect other people's religious beliefs and practices. So let's analyze that, because we did a whole two shows on that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the big thing here, once you get right down to it, is there's no such thing as respecting beliefs. There's only respecting people. So by Q1, you know, if you're going to respect people, you know, there, there's really nothing that's that's going to be self-contradictory about that. But by Q2, definitely everybody wants to be respected in some sense. So you've got to respect other people. And the thing, you know, listening to your show, you really don't disrespect people uh, so much as you disrespect the dumb things people believe. <laughs> and uh, maybe you go a little far with that sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I respect Charlie <laughs> yeah. to the utmost. Yeah, I have no idea. We respect everyone except for the dumbasses and their dumbass beliefs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we just treat them as dumbasses deserve to be treated. Don't you think that that's consistent, isn't it, Leighton? <laughs> well, the the good thing is that by Q2, you also don't mind if people treat you that way. Well, I'm not a dumbass. There you go. I, I think you myself. are a dumbass. Do I do I need to bring up Sweden and Switzerland? You are a dumbass. We're both dumbasses. I don't I don't mind if people disrespect me. Yeah, you're philosophically consistent. That's good. Right. It doesn't it doesn't bother me. Um, I cry in the corner sometimes. Leighton does. Uh, he weeps uh, in unmanly fits of Glenn Beck ish weeping. Um, Friend of my which... clothes, wipe soot all over me. From which he recovers remarkably quickly. It's impressive. Yes, yes. just like Limbeck, he is my master. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the the disrespect on this show, I think, um, I think that that people, if they want respect, they need to be philosophically consistent and have uh, thought about their beliefs reflected on them, because otherwise uh, you're really subjecting yourself to disrespect by having your beliefs torn apart by someone else when you could have done it yourself. Right. Well, that's actually, it's an interesting kind of difference between the tactics of you guys and me is you tend to be kind of head on, you know, pointing out the stupidity and I would much rather destroy stuff from within, you know, kind of say, okay, let's pretend that everything that you said is true. Let's look at your beliefs and uh, why they're wrong, just even within their own context. And both I, I of them think work. you would piss people off more than we would. I, I not, even, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> I don't know about that. He's causing people to actually stop and think for themselves. How, how pissed off would you get if someone did I, that? I think that we're more easily dismissed than he is. 
That's if very you read true. the hate mail on my my blog, you'll see I get all sorts of I get so many people saying that I'm gay. I have no idea why. <laughs> and but, see, um, that's my point. We never get hate mail. Why is it we don't get any hate mail? You guys suck out there. Our listeners I, suck. Send us. I hate tell mail. you why we don't get hate mail, and I found this out last uh, Easter. I was working, and everyone in my family pounced on my wife because you know. How can you allow him to do this show? You know, he's making fun of you. He's making fun of the family, blah, blah, blah. And uh, my sister-in-law said she turned on the show, listened to it for about 15 seconds, and turned it off. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we don't get hate mail. Nobody's able to make it through. (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know, if you really want to make people mad, what I find works is when they write you a horrible, nasty letter, just send them a really nice one back, looking at their points intellectually, and ask for their opinion back and so often they'll either just not answer or you'll get like a really nice letter back saying oh i'm so sorry or they'll just explode with rage that you didn't get mad at them excellent i like that tactic to kill them with kindness (laughs) (laughs) never will come from our show but uh, i'll have to try that i'll have to attempt that next time (laughs) it works it takes a lot of practice (laughs) Excellent. Well, it was great having you on the show. I mean, this Thanks. this I would recommend this to anyone. Ask yourself to be moral. The two Except system toward better your thought. Your parents do not do not recommend this show to your parents. The book, yes. This show yeah. that we just did, your parents should yeah. listen to this. I'm Good talking point. about the book. He goes through a bunch of fallacies in the beginning, and then uh, goes through a bunch of examples and analyzes each of these questions thoroughly. And the, the range of questions is immense. I mean, it's it's really. Uh, really well written it's a light read you can have it next to your bathroom so you can read a couple questions you know while you're otherwise engaged i mean it's fantastic it's great and and the real the real point that we should uh, make is even someone as dumb as i am can read this book so you can understand even, <laughs> even though he chose not to <laughs> yeah. no, I, I would actually say the real point is go out and buy a copy of this book Absolutely. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The, the real the real reason he's on the show. Yeah. You really you really won't be disappointed. Um, and it's uh, a book that you can read in small bite sized chunks, and it I guarantee it'll make you think about your own ethics and your own moral system. Great book, especially Thank while you. on the shitter. Especially. What better time is there when uh, except when you're on the shitter? Uh, cleans you out <laughs> more ways than one. That's Great. right. All right, give so... yourself the cover of the next volume. <laughs> Why don't you have Leighton write your forward to version two? Yeah, I'll take care of that. <laughs> All, right. All right. Wonderful having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. All right. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much. All right. We'll uh, see you all next week. Bye.